It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pantidra. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at vze.org.au and 3cr.org.au or whatever podcasting app you favour. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Laura Perry. Good morning Kay. How are you Laura? Yeah, very well this morning. Got an exciting um, discussion today. We're going to be speaking with Dr Ian Wright and he's worked at Western Sydney University for almost 10 years. Firstly as a postdoctoral research fellow in the field of freshwater ecology. Since 2010 he's been a lecturer in environmental science and management. Before becoming a full-time lecturer at UWS in 2012, Ian established a consulting business mainly helping local government with projects associated with urban water quality. He teaches students in water quality and water management, environmental planning and environmental regulation areas. His research is broadly centred on water pollution and ecology issues. He has a long-standing interest in the impact of urban development and mining in streams and rivers and has provided independent expert testimonies for environmental science matters for the New South Wales Land and Environment Court and he's also an enthusiastic participant in the community engagement activities in water science and management projects. Before working at Western Sydney, he worked as an environmental consultant in local government, Sydney Water and in the Sydney Catchment Authority um, groups. Today we're going to be talking with Ian about his recent article in the conversation about Sydney's water quality and the effect that science staff cuts have, um, that have occurred at the SCA and how Sydney's water network is affected and also the pollution from coal mines and sewage treatment plants. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Laura and Kay. How are you? Good, Great, Ian. Good, thank you. Ian, um, from the introduction, it appears you've always had a deep interest in water ecology, especially in managing the water quality in the challenging catchment areas. I, I actually just I do love water. I just don't think I've ever grown up properly. I love swimming in it, drinking it, everything associated with it. Well, and, water's uh, great in Australia, isn't it? The, the quality of the water generally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I say to my students, it's, an, it's a real act of faith to fill a glass of water from your tap and drink it mm. um, and where, where, wherever you are. And in Australia, it's really safe. Um, possibly the most dangerous place I can think of is my mother's farm. Because she has a, a water tank, um, and you know I don't clean the roof of that all that often, so sometimes that's a bit cloudy. But it's, mm. it's really good in Australia. Yeah, well, that's the thing with water tanks. We grew up with water tanks too, and if you didn't clean them, you could suffer the consequences. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely right. And there's probably no people that are more conscious about water quality and scarcity than people growing up with water tanks. <laughs> yes, yes, very true. Ian, just to set the scene today, firstly we want to discuss Sydney Water and the new structure of the Sydney Catchment Authority 
and then get on to the coal mines in the catchment areas and the sewage treatment plants. And then probably towards the end of the show, discuss that uh, the program catalyst that you did in 2008. Sure. Uh, and the specific effects that uh, pollution that you found in that area. Yep, that sounds, that, that, that sounds great. Fantastic. So, Ian, what I've understood is that um, Sydney has Australia's biggest and most complex domestic water supply network. So uh, can you just tell us a bit about the size of this and uh, uh, what the state bodies are that are managing it? Yeah, sure. The, 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 the size, um, it's, it is really, really complex. Um, Sid- Sydney's water catchments comprise a total of 21 different storages and they are all surface water impoundments. Um, unlike Adelaide and Perth, we don't use groundwater. Um, so like Melbourne and Hobart, we've got a really extensive network of flowing water and then the flow of that is trapped behind dams. And in Australia, the size of our dams relative to population is really big and that's because our climate is so variable. You know, we have those wet periods and then Mm. just about everywhere we have these long dry periods. So we have to store a massive amount of water per person in comparison to, say, um, United Kingdom Mm. because, you know, rainfall tends to be much, much more constant and reliable there. Right, yeah. Um, And... So we, yeah, Sydney, quite complex and by the sounds of it. And, and we had the recent merger, or not recent, but there was the merger of the State Water Corporation and the Sydney Catchment Authority, and now yeah. they are the body of Water New South Wales. Can you, can you tell us a bit about, you know, how many people are they employing in comparison to the amount of people that we used to see working in this field? That's, look, that's a good question. I don't actually have the figures of the number of people in the new organisation. I, I know now that the, the Water New South Wales has basically absorbed Sydney Catchment Authority, which was around, you know, the numbers floated between 250 and 300 people mm-hmm. that just looked after the water catchments. And a large part of that was looking after all the infrastructure, the, you know, the dams, the pipes, pumps and canals and so on. New organisation has more, but what has been of concern to a lot of us um, in the sort of science and water science community is that they have lost five of their six most senior scientists in that merger, I think through a, 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 a redundancy program. And straight away, a lot of us in the industry recognise that as a risk. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking water, and again, that act of faith when people fill the glass of pure water at the tap, there's just no tolerance for risk. You, you want you really want to be a hundred percent certain that it's good. Absolutely, and so so we sort of see more people, I guess, maintaining the body itself, but less scientists working working on maintaining the water quality. That's um, right, and okay. and also the the focus of those of those scientists um, and all the other staff is now spread around the state, and I recognise that that's a positive thing. That the, you know, it's a very well managed catchment. Um, similar to, say, the catchments of Melbourne, superbly managed, good science behind it, um, collect good hard data um, and manage the risks. So to spread that to the small regional communities is definitely a positive. But I suppose I should just remind you and your listeners that the Sydney Catchment Authority started because Sydney had a period where its water supply was 
questionable. Mm. Oh, that was, was in 1998, wasn't it? Mm. Where the, that's correct. They had the Scryptosporidium and Giardia that's right. infections. Yeah. Mm. That's right. These little protozoan organisms that, that are all around um, water and contaminated water, and they got into the water supply after a period of very, very heavy rain, and its biggest dam, Warragamba Dam, rather than sitting there with seven years' supply for everyone, became almost a um, slow-moving river as the floods came in and brought all this contamination in from the catchments. The catchments include more than 100,000 people. If anyone's familiar with Sydney, it includes the Blue Mountains, the Southern Highlands, um, cities like Goulburn, Berrimah, Disco, um, and nearly all of those towns have sewage treatment plants that treat sewage waste and then discharge it into local waterways, which comes into the catchment. Wow. Um, okay. And after this period, Cryptosporidium and Giardia was detected throughout the water network of Sydney, and it was, it was with great embarrassment the state government said to people of Sydney, you must boil your water. That For a water authority in Australia, that's, um, that's, that, that's really not a good thing to do. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And so there was a big inquiry by Peter McLennan, who's currently doing the inquiry that's involving George Pell. He did an inquiry into um, mm, okay. the, the, the water supply incident, the crypto incident. Right. And one of the outcomes of that inquiry was that Sydney Water was running the catchments prior to that. And they said, he said, uh, you should, there should be a specific government authority that's focused completely on the catchments of Sydney and that became the Sydney Catchment Authority. Which is now being dismantled. It, it, that's correct, it is. It's been merged, so it's a, it's, it, it's a new organisation and, again, losing that specific focus that was recommended out of that inquiry. And also experienced scientists. That, well, that's right, all that corporate knowledge. Mm. And um, enormous scientists that has... I did work in both Sydney Water and Sydney Catchment Authority, including the catchments, and you need that corporate knowledge. You really... That's, in all workforces of Australia, you really need that mm -hmm. and often isn't as valued as it perhaps should be. Absolutely. Um, Ian, you said that there was many sources of pollution um, along the Sydney waterways uh, and, now, and I believe that one of them is coal mines and yep. that they are particularly in high-value conservation areas. Can tell us a little bit more about um, these areas. Yes, that's, that, that, that's absolutely right. It just, it, you know, it just happens that um, you know, water is a wonderful renewable product you just put these lumps of concrete there and the rain will fall and you gather it it's a beautiful renewable mm. resource under that happens to be some of the most valuable coal in the sydney basin a giant coal basin that extends actually all the way up through new south wales to queensland where it becomes the bowen basin and that's right under a lot of our water supplies and catchment waterways and in fact, on the foreshore of Warragamba Dam, there used to be four coal mines, and I think coal mining was there before the dam, which was finished in 1960. Um, and then over closer to the coast, down towards Wollongong, just south of Sydney, uh, what they call the metropolitan catchments. And these were created um, from the late 1800s. So the Avon, the Cataract, Cordoba, Nepean, small storages, mostly naturally vegetated. It's an area where people aren't allowed to go without authority. And as a catchment mm. officer, I would catch people, and um, if they didn't have a good excuse, they often end up in court. But it is, it is 
kind of bizarre that that is some of the most valuable coal in Australia because it's coking coal, it's steel-making coal. Mm -hmm, So so a lot of the coal under the catchments in this metropolitan area is mined. Some of the mines actually are almost in Wollongong and go right under, literally under um, the catchment waterways and even the dams themselves. And there are just so many issues. I think all your listeners can probably imagine there's issues with subsidence with coal mining and the structural integrity of um, you know, bridges and dams and so on above them. But there are also lots of um, water, water quality and water quantity issues as well. Right. And is, uh, is coal seam gas something that we see um, mined in that area as well? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure there's been exploration wells drilled, but I'm not aware of any coal seam gas activity, commercial activity in the catchments at all. They're very, very close, though. We've actually got one of Australia's oldest coal seam gas fields just outside, and it's in the Camden area, just southwest of Sydney, close to waterways, but um, but not not near the water catchment. And Isn't it, and I must say, everything I know about that... I, 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 it works far more environmentally effectively than the wells in northern New South Wales and Queensland. Didn't the New South Wales government place a hold on the exploration and extraction of coal seam gas in this, what's supposedly called special areas? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, they, they did. And it was, I heard, I heard that statement and um, I thought, well, that's, that, that's good. But boy, what, what's your attitude to coal mining? Because it's still it's still like the wild west, as far as I can see, environmentally with coal mining in the catchments. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you are listening so to the Beyond Zero Emissions Show, and we're with Dr. Ian Wright from Western Sydney University. And today we're discussing his article in the conversation regarding Sydney's water quality. So, Ian, um, with regard to um, the Sydney Morning Herald, just recently they also mentioned that BHP Billiton was granted approval by the New South Wales government for a coal mine. And that, what's it called? Longwall mining, isn't it? Um, right, it's, yeah. yeah. Underground. And that's in the Wollongong area. And again, that's in the special area, the special areas that um, is um, depicted in um, Sydney's water catchment. And that, that was in 2015. And evident, from what the article says, Warden New South Wales said it didn't even receive the report until 2014. And... BHP didn't even submit a groundwater impact study so, yes, and right. until 2014 as well. So it sounds like there are a lot of things happening that aren't really done in, in an organised way and with, with all the authorities knowing about it. Would you, do you know anything about that or is that just uh, one, of the, one of the coal mines that's in, going on in the area and has possibly been going on for ages and maybe been extended? Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's great. Look, I don't know the specifics of, of the mine. To be honest, I work in this area and there seems to be a new mine or an expansion, a review, every few days. And um, I've, I've, been, um, I've, I've been asked by a number of um, groups to you know, comment on some of these proposals. And it's generally the extension of a mine. So once a mine comes to the end of its uh, lease, it will then seek approval from the planning minister to keep going or to mine a new area. And I've commented, I think, probably on five or six in the last 18 months. And each one of those mine extensions with all the environmental impact assessment information 
you know, some of them, if you piled up the documents, you wouldn't be able to jump a horse over it. <laughs> and, but you've got to go through all the details. So I tend to focus in on the water and all the issues associated with, with the predicted impacts and the proposed means for controlling them, mitigating them, avoiding them. And that tends to occupy me um, in my spare time um, <laughs> when I'm not teaching or doing research. I mean, I like to gather data. I like, I like hard data on these things. I honestly can't keep up with the industry and these proposals. And in my experience, I, I you know, you, you allude in that comment that documents weren't provided and thoroughly assessed. And I can totally see how that happens. I really can. And that's a real concern in itself, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If you can't keep, manage it, <laughs> how can everybody else? Oh, that's ab- ab- absolutely right. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this article in the conversation is that I, I was... There, there, there was a particularly large coal mine that is one of the biggest point sources of pollution in the Warragamba catchment. That's the big dam that provides probably 80% of, of Sydney's water. When I say Sydney, it's Sydney, the Illawarra and surrounding areas. So it's actually about four and a half million people. And I was going through all the documents. I attended a number of community meetings. I was surprised at the lack of the science from former Sydney Catchment Authority because this was their water catchment and it was such a major pollution source. They have legislation that goes with it and they have to, basically they have to approve any new development and assess its water, water pollution impact. Mm. Wow. And I was surprised at the silence um, and there's a myriad of other state government organisations and of course all the private lobbying that goes with such a large commercial venture. And yes, I was, I was surprised, but then that happened, I think, during last year, which was when Sydney Catchment Authority merged and became Water New South Wales. And again, perhaps I was starting to see that loss of focus. Yeah, moving away from really, really crunching the science and ensuring that the quality of the water is the most important aspect of the role that they play. That's right. Is, um, Ian, I wanted to have a chat about Lithgow Power Station. Um, yep. I understand that this station is 160 kilometres from Sydney about, so um, it's not a huge way away, and that this station uh, takes in fresh water and expels something that is more like a toxic soup of sorts back into that, the waterways. Can you expand on that? that I, I sure can. Look, there's two power stations at, in, in, in the Lithgow area. One's called the Wang Power Station, a little bit of a mouthful. Everyone just calls it the Wang, Wang Power Station. It, it, it was a subject of a court case, and I was engaged um, as an expert witness for that court case, so I collected evidence, and that, and, that was, um, and that was assessed by the New South Wales Land and Environment Court. This power station ran from, I think, the 1930s, and it's actually currently shut, and they use the term care and maintenance. I think it's basically a lot of these old, it's an old, dirty, polluting power station. And I think this is the first sign of sort of your interest beyond zero. These uneconomic old polluters are starting to go because of the impact of renewables, in my opinion. Mm. But I was, I, was, I was asked to help um, by a, a small conservation group in the area called the Lithgow Environment Group. Um, and this power station burnt coal from the Lithgow area, so the, power, so the coal mine I was talking about, the Springvale coal mine, fed coal into this, 
and it generated uh, probably about 10% of New South Wales power and something I didn't realise until I got a little bit more familiar with it is it generates an immense amount of wastewater, which doesn't really sound logical. burns coal, but it produces dirty water. Mm. And that is because all, all thermal power stations use an immense amount of water for cooling. Mm. They, generate, they generate the electricity through high-pressure steam. And high-pressure steam, it's, it's, it's not 100 degrees, it's actually several hundred degrees. It's very, very high pressure, so it's superheated steam. It's a huge challenge to cool that down, condense it, and keep that beautiful pure water. And so that, so that through that process, they actually use a lot of secondary water to help cool it down and condense it. And that process literally makes kind of a, a contaminated soup, depending on what the um, cooling water is. So this power station at Lithgow used runoff from the Cox's River, Mind you, this is the second biggest river going into Warragamba Dam, so mm. very important for our Sydney water supply. Mm. It used that as cooling water, um, and a large part of that flow is due to coal mines and pumping out coal mines and all the wastewater. You dig a big hole in the ground, it fills with water, so to mine it, you need to pump that out. That process liberates all kinds of contaminants. There's sulphur in our coal, so when you expose through mining sulphur to water and to air, it creates sulfuric acid, eats away and leaches out metal contaminants like zinc and nickel and perhaps copper and lead. And this water came into the power station and was essentially evaporated and a much stronger and more toxic wastewater was created. And in addition, they added um, in, within the power station a corrosion inhibitor that happened to be extremely high in, in copper. Right. which is um, highly toxic to aquatic ecosystems. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so now, now in our catchment areas, um, which I, I understand they are mostly clean, but we, we have two different polluting sources. There's the sewage um, that you were speaking of earlier and the, the coal that's polluting in. And like what kind of... I understand that some of them are inorganic and some are organic. So what kind of cocktail do we have happening there now? Oh, that's that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's absolutely right. It, it is a cocktail. And it's, it's even more complicated than that. We've got lots of grazing livestock. Um, and livestock, I'm speaking principally of sheep and cattle, but as well, there's domestic pets. They all carry their own microorganisms, some of which can be infective to humans. So the scientific term for that, when a disease jumps species, an infectious disease, that's called a zoonotic disease. And that's one of the concerns with the Cryptosporidium and Giardia. It could have come from cows or mm. sheep or dogs. Or this sounds a bit bizarre and it's not glamorous, but it could also come from wildlife. Mm. And so in the catchments of lots of it is high-quality bush, and we have lots of kangaroos and wallabies and wombats, and you know, this, is, this is right around Australia, and certainly Melbourne catchments are the same. We've actually had to, we've had to go out our scientists and pick up their faecal matter and test it. Mm. Um, to see what's there and see, is it infective? Well, could that constitute a waterborne risk to the consumers of the water? Mm. It's not glamorous science, but um, mm. I've done it. It's a lot more fun than wading into the creek below a sewage treatment plant <laughs> <laughs> or below a coal mine. I've, 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 done, I've done all of it to collect samples in you know, a, a, a solid, well-designed study with 
suitable laboratory analysis, it's 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 a really big undertaking, and to do it on a on a um, collective basis across a, a catchment with all these variables, it's a huge scientific exercise. But it's absolutely vital that to, to feed that sort of information in, so we know where the clean water is that can be supplied today, and what issues might be coming in in future days, weeks, months, and years. So, so that um, it really bothers me because. It's because of the the size of this catchment area and because of the large number of possibilities that, of um, contamination and because you have to do this monitoring on a regular basis, you must have a lot of people that are employed to do this or you must yeah, require well, that, that, a lot. Look, look it does, but um, when I was in the, in the science team at Sydney Catchment Authority and that is getting on for 10 years ago, you had a team of about probably about a dozen people, but a lot of the routine monitoring was done by consultants. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that was quite effective. Uh, there are um, fantastic consultants around. They get to know the area. They go to the sites. They do basically the groundwork. Okay. But, so, but then you have to monitor the monitors, do you? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes you do. And, and look, I... I, I um, you know, I had, I had my own concerns and I'm probably, to be honest, um, a bit opinionated for working in a state government and that's why universities are fantastic. Um, <laughs> I think everyone so is. As long as you're somehow connected to your field of expertise, you're allowed to speak publicly. If I did this in the Sydney Catchment Authority, I'd lose my job before the end of the day. <laughs> right. And have you been studying any sort of, of the invertebrates that are uh, in those areas and seen any changes happening there? Oh, absolutely. I'm... I'm so glad you asked about invertebrates. People don't normally ask. <laughs> it's, it, it's sort of the core of my trade. I, I do water chemistry, but really just to work out what the big pollution trends may be. But, you know, like a lot of the Sydney catchment, it's, it's a wonderful area to work in because there are so many clean waterways that have all these amazing sensitive invertebrates that you don't find anywhere. You know, in, in a way, it's like turning back the clock to pre-European times. And I know, again, it's the same in Melbourne and Tasmania is full of clean waterways. So is Queensland, mm. uh, and I've certainly used the invertebrates uh, as, a, as a measure of how healthy the ecosystem is. You know, the Cox's River, which I've talked about a bit with the power station and Springvale coal mine, I, every time I go there I think of this, but that's where Charles Darwin came across the Blue Mountains and he went to Bathurst, and he was introduced to a platypus in the Cox's River. <laughs> the, point, the point at which he did that is now a water dam, which supplies cooling water to the power stations there. Mm. Um, so there hasn't been a cook at Platypus sited there for a long, long time, and in fact, it's heavily polluted water, full of salt and selenium and all kinds of other metals mm. um, and, 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 and sewerage. But yes, I monitor the um, the invertebrates to see how healthy it is for you know the the fish, the the birds, the platypus, etc. Okay. And you've also been involved with the with training for the water sensitive urban design group. Is that um, something that you do on a regular basis? Yes. Look, it's a big interest. We urban development on its own is a major source of pollution and disturbance, and um, we are learning to live more sustainably. And some of the people leading that charge are the urban planners, the engineers, the architects, who are inventing uh, a future that's far more sustainable. You know, including renewable electricity, including recycling water so that we 
you know, on average we use something like 300 litres per person per day. Ridiculous amount. Wow. Yeah, you can use is. a whole lot less and a large part of that, if you, if you use and live in a water-sensitive manner, you know, we collect rain runoff from our roof rather than channeling it into the gutter so it becomes a problem downstream. Mm. Um, so I find that as a, it's like an investment in the future. Yeah. Let's, let's, in, let's invent a, a kind of future. Um, That's such a nice note to, <laughs> to, end the show to on. finish up on. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ian, for your time. It's been a very interesting discussion and very concerning for all our waterways, in fact. Well, thanks for your interest. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Did you miss the latest episode of your favourite 3CR show? Visit 3CR's new improved website. Now you can listen to the latest episode of almost every 3CR show with one click, including music, arts, community languages, current affairs and more. No need to podcast, no need to download. Visit 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Then go to your favourite programs page to listen. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.